Hello there, Social Work 6533 students. Welcome to week five of the fall semester of 2020. So, uh, confession time. Two confessions, I suppose. First confession, I run. I really like running. I run a lot. And there will be this thing that happens sometimes, especially if I'm going to do like a long run where I start out and at the beginning of the run, I feel good. You know, my legs are moving. My arms are swinging. My breathing is not labored. I, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm running. This feels great. This feels good. I'm going to do a good thing. And I run and I run and I run. There's always a point at which the run transitions from being this kind of thing that I've just started, that I'm enjoying, to being something that's kind of hard, to being something that maybe I'm not enjoying as much as I was when I started out. That's first confession. Confession number two. Semesters, for me, are a lot like those kinds of runs. In the beginning of the semester, I feel like, oh, I'm excited. There's going to be new learning that takes place. I'll read interesting things. Like I'll teach cool stuff. I'll meet good. Just I, I get excited, especially in the fall semester. The fall semester is the one where I think I feel that the most. The start of the the uh, spring semester starts, you know, in January when it's still really cold and stuff. So I'm not as excited, I think, when we start January. But when we start in fall, like, you know, it's the end of the summer. I've been preparing. I, I feel good. And I, and I feel good for a while. I'm, I'm going, I'm going. Week one, week two, week three, week four. Around about now, this is confession number two. Around about now, week five. This is when I start to get the same kind of feeling about the semester as I get when my run starts to become kind of hard. Maybe around, you know, I'll say sometime, like maybe mile four for me at this point. Around mile four, it's like, okay, this is, this is work now. Around week five of a semester, it's like, okay, this is work now. And I start to I start to feel a little bit fatigued. I start to feel a little bit um, like, oh, here we go. And and it's it's doubly hard, you know, with this. Like if you're doing a long run when you get to mile four, if you've still got like, I don't know, uh, if I do a long run, I, I'll do like maybe eight miles. I feel like I've got another eight to go. In a 16-week semester, we get to week five. And I'm like, oh man, okay, like this is starting to get hard. We've still got a while to go, right? We're a quarter of the way done. We've got three quarters left. Uh, and that's that's how I'm feeling right now. And I, I tell you these confessions for a couple of reasons. The main reason for me is that I suspect that at least a few of you are probably feeling your own version of what it is that I'm describing. So if if you're one of those people who's feeling your own version of what it is that I'm describing, I'm there too. And I'm going to tell you there's other people who are probably also there as well. Um, And this is a point where I feel a few words of encouragement might be in order. And these are words that I'm telling you and I'm also telling them to myself. We're going into week five. We are a quarter of the way done. We are going to get through this thing. It is going to feel maybe a little bit tough from here on out, but it's not going to be unsurmountable. It's not going to be something that we can't accomplish. Uh, and I, I do think that saying that out loud might help. I hope that it might help. So uh, having gone through that, given you my confessions and my 
uh, kind of, I don't know, lackluster pep talk thing. I'm going to say uh, that's a good introduction. I'm going to play some introduction music, and when we come back, we're going to get into a couple of different topics that I think will be important for us to all have in the front of our minds as we go into week five. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill those of you who care that song is salisbury hill it was originally written and recorded by peter gabriel and that version of the song is a cover by a band called erasure and it's on an album called other people's songs which is a song of covers imagine that but enough about the introduction music let's talk about the themes that we're going to be talking about on today's podcast lecture so week one through four what i was trying to do was build a bit of a foundation for where we were going to be going in the coming weeks. I introduced a couple of really big concepts, a couple of really big ideas to you. Some of them were probably easy to understand. Some of them not so easy to understand. But the point isn't necessarily that you understood them completely, but that you engaged with them, you thought about them, you tried to make some sort of sense of them. As long as you've done that, I think that we're going to be in good shape going forward here. So the first theme that I want to introduce as we go forward into week five and beyond is the theme of power. Now, I said something about power in our previous class. I described power as the ability to make things happen. What I want to do now is kind of suss that out a little bit, say a little bit more about it, kind of make that make a little bit more sense, right? Because just that that one sentence, the ability to make things happen, that works. I think it's a fairly good, succinct description of what power is, but that doesn't really tell us enough about what power is and about some of the things that come along with having power, with having the ability to make things happen. So let's explore this a little bit. And to do that, let's start off by thinking about something that has power. This could be a person, this could be a company. This could be uh, some sort of politician uh, or political party. It could be a group. Think of something in your mind that has power. You know, take your time, figure it out, let your mind wander, find something that you would say, yeah, this person, this thing has power. Now, when you have that thing in your mind's eye, what I want you to do is to kind of work with me here for a second. How would you describe this person or this thing to other people? If they asked you, okay, you know, what is it that makes this person or this thing powerful? What would you say? Think about that for a second. No right or wrong answer. Just think about it. All right. 
for the sake of time, we're going to have to stop thinking about it. We're going to have to answer the question here. My guess is that some of you, perhaps even the majority of you, when you were thinking about what it is that gave this person or this thing power, you thought about it and you described it as something that had access to money or other resources. That tends to be something that goes along with power. When a person is powerful, that person tends to have have access to control over a lot of resources. Now, money could be one of the resources they have control over, but it could be other things too, right? Money is a really important resource in our culture. It's just not the only important resource in our culture, but it, it's, a, it's a pretty good one. Um, other examples of resources are property. You know, if somebody has a lot of property, they can probably do a lot of things with that property. If you own buildings and you charge tenants rent to be in those buildings, whether they're residential buildings or office buildings, you're not doing anything except for you know owning the building, having having the resource of the property itself, and just having that resource is something that can let you earn an income, make money come into your bank account while you're doing anything. You could be reading a book, you could be playing a video game, you could be walking the dog, and you're still making money, right? Just because you own land, for example. The same thing could be said for things like stocks or um, infrastructure. Infrastructure is a really important one. So uh, there's some people, for example, they own, when I say infrastructure, what am I talking about here? They own like the runways that planes take off of. They own the uh, pipes that water and electricity and the internet flow through. Those those things are are all resources, right? So having, having power the ability to make things happen, we could say is largely contingent upon the amount of resources that a person or an entity has direct control over. The more resources that a person or entity has control over, I think we could say the more powerful that person or entity is. So that's my first thing that I want to talk about with power. Hopefully that makes sense to you as I say it. But let's add to that a little bit here. Let's talk about another kind of resource that powerful people and powerful things can have access to. It's a non-material resource. The resource of reputation. There's certain individuals, certain companies, certain schools that have a reputation. And the reputation is not like a, a thing. It's not like a piece of property or a piece of infrastructure or something that they they can actually, you know, like touch and hold and control directly. It's something different. Reputation is something that can make people who have access to a lot of resources sometimes more powerful and sometimes they can make them less powerful just because they, they have a good or bad reputation respectively. The reason I bring this up is that I want to illustrate to the extent that I can that having power is not only about having control over resources. It is also about the ways in which a person or an entity actually behaves. The things that they do, the things that they don't do, the style in which they they do them or don't do them. All of these things add to a reputation. Uh, reputation can be seen in a, some really interesting ways. So I can remember, for example, working for an agency 
And when I worked there, there was an org chart, right? And there was, you know, somebody whose name was at the top of the org chart, then there was people right beneath them and then so on and so forth, right? It looked kind of like a pyramid with the CEO at the top. And there's this one person who was a supervisor, kind of middle level management within the org chart. So in terms of the amount of money that this person made, you know, they were less than many of the people who were higher than them in the org chart. And in terms of the kind of like title that they had, uh, I, I think their title was something like director. It wasn't VP or president or CEO or anything like that. They just had a, uh, they were like a supervisor basically. But this person had such a great reputation within the organization that people who were higher than than her on the org chart would come and ask her f- to chime in on stuff, ask her to talk to people, ask her for her opinion. And, you know, she would usually give that. And sometimes she would even uh, go so far as to kind of like, she would lobby both ways. Sometimes she would lobby, you know, for the people above her in the org chart to the people below. And other times she would lobby for the people below to the people above. And she had the respect of the individuals who were, who were higher than her on the org chart. And she also simultaneously had the respect of people who were lower than her on the org chart. She had a reputation for being smart, for really knowing how to do things well, and for, you know, kind of only, she would pick her battles and pick them well, right? She wouldn't, if she thought something was worth fighting for, she would fight for it. If she didn't think it was worth fighting for, she would give her opinion, but she might not fight for it. She was somebody who was just so respected as a result of the reputation that she had. Uh, she didn't control the same level of resources that the people uh, above her controlled, but that was okay because she had this amazing reputation that actually afforded her a great deal of power within the organization itself. And she did also control some resources. Like she had a budget for her department that she was in charge of and, you know, she did scheduling and so on and so forth. So she had, she did have some resources that she did control, but I would say the vast majority of the power that she had didn't come from the control of resources. It really came from the reputation ultimately. So let's bring these two things together. When we think of power, it's probably good to think of it um, along two axes. So when I say that, let me try to describe it a little bit better. What I want you to do is in your mind's eye, draw a line from left to right. And, you know, that line, what I'm going to say is the amount of resources that you control, right? And so there's zero right in the middle. There's negative numbers along the left. There's positive numbers along the right. Um, you know, because and I put negative numbers on there because sometimes people can actually uh, be in debt, right? That would be not only not having resources, but kind of like owing resources to somebody else. So you can have kind of like negative power in this way. And then uh, I want you to draw another line, this one from the top of the paper down to the the bottom of the paper. So it, it cuts that first line in half, right? So you have what looks kind of like a graph here. And uh, on the top, what I want you to think of is good reputation. On the bottom, I want you to think of bad reputation. You can kind of put people or entities, companies, schools, churches, hospitals, etc. in here. And that can give you, I think, a pretty good quick kind of snapshot of what kind of power this person or this organization happens to have. So that's power. That's the first thing I wanted to talk about.
So now building on this idea of power, I want to talk about the next concept that I think is really important. It's the concept of efficiency. And the reason I want to talk about this is that it seems to me that a lot of times one of the things that helps people get power and maintain power is their ability to be efficient with the power that they have. And what I, I've also noticed is that there's some people who try to be efficient and they just completely, totally fail at it. They, they try to do what they think will be efficient. And when they put their efforts kind of like into effect, when they put it into an organization or a group or something like that, it ends up having a paradoxical effect, an inverse effect. It takes things and makes them less efficient. And when that happens, a lot of times one of the, the impacts is that somebody starts to lose power ultimately, right? And I think the that the point that I want to make with this is that when we say efficiency, the people who really get what that term means and can kind of maintain power are the people who understand that efficiency doesn't mean doing necessarily meaning doing the, the most amount of stuff you can do with the least amount of expenditures. Sometimes that is what, what some people think power is. Spend the least amount of money and get the like biggest bang for your buck. They think if they can do that, that they'll be efficient. And if they're efficient, they'll be powerful. And when they try to put that kind of philosophy you know, into effect, what they discover is that it doesn't work the way that they thought that it would. That in reality, the they they end up their reputation kind of gets jacked up. Their reputation suffers as a result of their attempt to be efficient. And um, yes, they might be able to have a, a greater degree of potential like resources in reserve, but they start to lose one really important resource, and that's the resource of other people believing in you they lose the resource of reputation uh so again the point i'm trying to make here is that a lot of times in my experience people confuse efficiency with having the maximal amount of material resources in their control and with um treating people kind of badly right in, in a sense what they do is they prioritize the material resources money property stocks infrastructure, those sorts of things. And they really de-emphasize the importance of human relationships. And when somebody does that, they end up being very inefficient. They end up losing power. That's the first thing I want to say. Here's the second thing. The same thing can happen in the opposite direction. And I've seen this happen a lot too. So I have worked in a couple of places where I have seen people who were really stellar clinicians, really, they had excellent clinical skills. They were awesome with human relationships. And because they were so good at being a clinician, they were promoted into positions of managerial control, right? And when they got there, they continued to totally privilege human relationships and their reputation and their ability to get people to kind of like them and respect them, so on and so forth. And they, they had no regard for the material resources and the importance of material resources. Uh, there's one person I can think of in particular who was just a, a really, really stellar clinician. When I was a young person, I, I learned a lot from him. And uh, he got promoted pretty quickly. Uh, within three years that I was with this one place, he got promoted a couple of times. And eventually he got to this point where he was in um, a management position and he didn't, it was, it was really sad because this dude was such a great clinician and he was even, I think, a pretty good mid-level manager, 
But when he got promoted to the point where he was higher than that, he continued to prioritize his relationships with people a lot. And that in and of itself is not bad. But what he he would do is he wouldn't care about things like the profit and loss statement. He wouldn't care about things like the bottom line, the balance sheet, how much things cost. He, he just, he almost in a sense kind of flaunted how much he didn't care about those things and also flaunted how much he did care about human relationships. And he was shortly, you know, kind of like uh, let go by, by the organization because of taking that stance. So here's the point I'm trying to make about efficiency. Efficiency, when it comes to power, I'm going to say is the ability to balance those two things that I talked about in the power section, the ability to balance like the more relational reputational component as a resource that comes with having power and the ability to also take into account the kind of like financial and material resource component of having power. And it is, I think, really balancing those two things as opposed to overvaluing one and devaluing the other. Uh, when people overvalue one and devalue the other in either way, what ends up happening is efficiency really does suffer as a result. And when people are able to maintain a pretty much good enough balance, I don't think it'll, I mean, it's rare. I don't, I can't think of any instance where I've ever seen people be able to hold those two things in total balance 100% of the time. I just don't think that's possible actually. But um, as long as you hold them in a good enough balance, you'll be okay. Ultimately, you'll be able to maintain whatever power you have and you'll be seen as efficient kind of by everybody. It's like that woman from the power section that I talked about, the one who had the respect of people above her and below her. Um, she was a really efficient leader. She was a really, she used power very efficiently. She did understand that she worked for an organization and that that organization needed to make money in order for her to continue having a job there and for other people to continue having a job there. And as a result, she would often advocate for the people higher than her on the org chart to the people lower and say like, hey, I know it would be nice if they would spend this money, but they're not gonna or they can't or something like that. And here's why. And she would talk about that kind of stuff. And likewise, sometimes she would go to the people who were higher than her on the org chart and she would be like, hey, you know what, dudes, you actually kind of need to spend this money because if you don't, you know, you're going to lose the hearts and minds, the trust of the people who really do a lot of the important work in this place. That's somebody who got it, right? It's not like money doesn't matter and it's not like people don't matter. It's saying that that things like money and people both matter and you got to keep in both of those kind of tension points in mind to be in power and to, and to be efficient when you're in power. So that's the second point I wanted to make. century breathing down my neck I must move fast you understand me I want to go down in celluloid
I'm on a real Smiths kick today. The past two transition music songs have been by the Smiths. Uh, or actually, that's not true. The first, the one that we just heard was by the Smiths, and the one right before that was by Morrissey, who was a member of the Smiths. But anyways, that's not important. Uh, what is important is this next idea that I want to talk about, which is the idea of massification. I could also call this over-identification. And my argument here is going to be that when somebody has power and uses power efficiently, one of the things that they will probably end up doing is recognizing when there is a problem with massification and making an attempt to correct it. But for that to make sense, we have to understand, of course, what massification is, what over-identification is. I want to start to explain that by giving you an example. Uh, I want you to imagine that you're talking with somebody who works someplace and you're, they're, they're talking about what they do and you hear them say something like at, you know, the name of the place where they work, we don't believe or we don't do such and such thing. This is a really interesting phenomenon when this occurs and it occurs all the time because when that occurs, what you're seeing is that a, a person is saying a lot of things by implication when they make a statement like that. They're saying, one, I identify myself as a member of this group at whatever place we don't. They don't say, I don't do these things or I don't believe these things. They say, we or don't believe these things or we don't do those things. And that might seem like a subtle and insignificant shift, but in my mind, it's an incredibly important and incredibly significant shift when a person goes from saying I to saying we about something. When somebody goes from saying I to saying we, we that is the beginning of this phenomenon called massification. It's the beginning of a potential over-identification with a group. This happens a lot. The reason that this is problematic in my mind is because when people do this, when they over-identify with a group, one of the things that they end up doing is abdicating their personal responsibility to make appropriate and good choices, ethical choices. And they just sort of uh, say that the group that they belong to will make those choices and they'll just go along with them, whatever they are. Uh, the I see this a lot of times where... I, and I, I, I want to explain this well, uh, and I, I feel like I'm struggling to do this. I'm sorry about that. But one of the, because this really drives me crazy when I see it, 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 it bothers me, I guess. So I, I have this happen a lot. I, I will talk to people and they'll do this thing where they say, we don't. And when they're talking about a we, they're talking about a place they work or a group that they belong to. And it bothers me because... I would like it better if the the person were to say like the group that I belong to believes XYZ things and I also happen to believe XYZ things and that is why I'm a member of this group. If somebody were to say something like that, that would be great. But I don't think that's what I'm hearing people say. Instead, when they say we don't or we do whatever, I think what they're saying is that um, there's this group that I belong to, there's this company that I belong to, there's this place that I work, there's this... Um, other kind of large entity of which I am a part and I am allowing that that entity and its policies to determine for me what is and is not an appropriate, good, ethical, moral way to behave. And when people do that, what they stop doing is they stop challenging the entity that they belong to. They stop challenging the group that they're a part of. They stop saying to the leadership structure of that that company, that group, that school, whatever, 
hey, maybe you guys are doing something wrong. And instead they just go, oh, this is what the group has decided. Therefore, it must be good. And I'll just kind of go along with it. Um, I, and again, I feel like I'm just kind of scratching the surface with this one. So maybe we'll talk more about this when we meet as a class. That's probably the best way to do it. I, I, if I just keep on talking about it, I'll probably just say more confusing things. But anyways, I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick here. Um, when people have power and they use power efficiently, one of the things that, that I'm going to suggest they do is they allow for people to identify with the group that they're in charge of. They allow people to identify with the company that they run with the hospital that they run, with the church that they run, with the school that they teach at, et cetera. They let that happen, but they only let it happen to a point and then they, they try to make sure it doesn't go further than that. Uh, and the reason that uh, somebody who has power and when they use their power efficiently, the reason they do this is that they don't want members of their organization to turn into automata, uh, automatons, uh, to zombies, to people who are just yes people who say whatever the leadership says goes, whatever the company line is, I, I support that. They don't want that. They actually want people to think and to hold the them, the, the, the person in power wants the people who are, who are less powerful than they are to hold them accountable and make sure that they use their power appropriately. Massification is one of the things that prevents that phenomenon from occurring. And therefore, it is my opinion that people, when they have power and they use it efficiently, one of the things that they do is they consistently remind everybody within the influence of their power to hold them accountable and to not just kind of uh, adopt their opinions and policies, but to be critical of them, to, to point out where they're wrong, where they fall short, when they could be better, those sorts of things. And again, um, this is probably the sloppiest part of this podcast. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I hope that the idea is making at least a little bit of sense because if it is, that'll be okay and we can talk more about it when we meet as a class. Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain Wherever I have gone Wherever I've been and gone Wherever I have gone The blues are all the same And this brings me to the last idea that I'm going to cover in today's podcast lecture. And it is about what I'm going to call the art of being in charge. Not the science of being in charge, not the five steps of being in charge, but the art of being in charge. And I could, I think, subtitle this section of the podcast lecture as uh, how to meet people's needs without being a tyrant. So when you are a person who has some kind of power, and you're attempting to use it efficiently, and you're attempting to guard against the phenomenon of massification where people abdicate their individuality and just sort of accept the party line, whatever that is. When you're in that position, it isn't easy. Being a person who is in charge of something and being able to maintain a good reputation and a good steward of the, the resources that you control, this is incredibly difficult. It is not an easy thing. And... If you want to do it well, I think there is an art to it. And I want to say just a tiny bit about what this art is. I'm also trying to set this up because in a couple of weeks, we're going to have somebody come in who I think can say a lot more about this than I can because he's somebody who's been in a position of leadership for a very, very long time of a rather successful 
and well-regarded organization within the DuPage County area. Uh, I mentioned him, I think, in the previous class. Scott Mitchell, who's the CEO of Samaricare, is going to come in and talk, and he's going to have a lot to say, I think, about the art of being in charge. Um, I suspect that he will. He might not call it that, but I think he will talk about that all the same. But anyways, I'm going off on a tangent here. The art of being in charge. I think that the best thing you can do if you find yourself in a position of power, if you're in charge and you don't want to be a tyrant, is to recognize just how incredibly easy it is to quickly misuse the power that you have. That is something that can happen fast. And once it happens, its it, its effects are usually immediate. Uh, if you are somebody who's in power, you ha- you're in charge, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job for one month, two months, three months, you manage the control of the resources pretty good, you uh, create a good reputation for three months. If you have one bad week, it's going to take you a lot longer than just another week to recover from that. Um, people gain power slowly. They gain reputational power in particular slowly and they lose it very fast. And because of that, one of the things that that comes along with the art of being in charge is recognizing one that if you make a misstep, you're going to have to do some pretty significant reparative work. You can't take for granted that things will just, people will get over it. They'll forget about things. You had three good months, so you'll just get back to having another good month. No, you can't do that. You got to actually work to recover when you make an error. That's a really big part of this. And the other thing is the recognition that, I talked about this earlier, I talked about balancing you know, the reputation side, the human relationship side with the control of resources side. I think it's really important to recognize that both of those two sides are going to pull pretty violently on you and demand more of you than you want to give. And being able to hold those two in tension is usually kind of an uncomfortable thing. But being able to do it is a big part of the art of being in power without becoming a tyrant. It's not, it's, it's actually really, really, really hard. Uh, I don't know if I'm making that clear. I'm going to say it again. It's really, really, really hard to do this. It's really hard to hold these two things in tension because you kind of have a foot in two worlds. You have one foot in the world of the control of resources. You have another foot in the world of the importance of human relationships. They're in, and these two things oftentimes like oppose each other and you're right in the middle of it and it's really hard. Um, the other thing that I would say comes with the art of being in charge, and this is sort of revisiting that massification idea that I talked about, is always encouraging to the extent that you can the people around you to be skeptical of the power that you have. Encourage them to speak out when you misuse your power. Encourage them to voice whatever skepticisms they have. Now, you don't just want people constantly second-guessing you, of course, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about encouraging people to, when it's important enough for them, to come and talk to you about things that they have concerns about and really being able to listen to them and allow them to express their concerns in a way that is safe as opposed to a way that will be weaponized and used against them later. So all of that's part of the art of being in charge. And, you know, I actually probably have a lot more to say about this, but I've talked, this podcast lecture is probably already too long. So let's just stop here. I've introduced these ideas. I talked about what power is. I talked about efficiency. I talked about group effects or massification, over-identification. There's a lot of names for that concept. And I talked about the art of being in charge. 
Hopefully you found this interesting. Um, you'll notice I didn't talk at all about the articles because we're gonna. I don't want to just summarize what you read. I want to add to it. Uh, and these ideas, I think, are important for what we're reading and for where we're going in the class. And I'm done now. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate it. I will see you all in class. Until then, uh, stay classy and make glorious mistakes. Take care.